So, hey, Sarah. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me on your little podcast here. This is yeah. Cool. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I mean, uh, now we have your brand new setup in your living room with the I brand know, new chairs. I know the production value has increased substantially. <laughs> this will be my permanent studio now. If only. The... <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Uh, so, uh, first of all, of course, the cooking conversation is about drinking whiskey, and uh, this is a new one that I'm trying. It's called Ardbeg Wee Beastie. It's a five year old uh, Isla Scotch, and it is supremely smoky. And I uh, I've enjoyed this in the last couple minutes. I've started drinking this. It's uh. It's strong, but it's good. Normally, I'd be partaking alongside of you. I am expecting my third child due in December. So I made myself a little grapefruit jalapeno soda. Um, Crude Brothers is a company in Raleigh, not far from here. Um, So this is one of their shrubs. And it's locally made, and it's pretty tasty, and it's a decent alternative if you can't or choose not to drink. (laughs) Right, right. Well, congrats on that. That's awesome. I'm excited to to meet the new one. Uh, Yes. Uh, so, I know you and I have talked a lot about, about stuff that you and I are both passionate about, but uh, I guess I'll just open the floor. I know we talked about, we kind of wanted to maybe go into like some vegan stuff or some animal rights stuff or some cult, uh, climate change. What, what's the biggest issue you see going on right now and what you're passionate about? Well, so since you mentioned it, I've been uh, eating and living a vegan lifestyle um, roughly two years now. Previously, before that, I was vegetarian for a while and pescatarian. Um, And the more I've learned about the state of the world, it seems like it's the only, for me, it's the only ethical choice I can make um, to consume without animals Mm. as much as I possibly can. Um, And, you know, it's hard. It's divisive. Food is something that can be so uniting. And so anytime you criticize what people's comforts are, specifically what they eat, it feels so violating. Um, and so I don't want to do that. I don't want to come at you and be like, you know, meat is murder and whatnot. I want to entreat you to see like there are some alternatives that can have a really positive impact on the world around us. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely I, I eat meat. I mean, uh, I, but I also find myself being able to be on the same side of, you know, arguing against overconsumption, arguing against overuse of resources. I mean, this, this, this country and a lot of countries in the, in, on the, in the Western civilization have just taken advantage of the overproduction that we have. Well, we're gluttons. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the double-edged sword living in the world that we do. You know, we are free in so many ways, but there's a cost to that as well. And we've done damage to our planet. We've, you know, taken advantage of the resources available to us. Um, And it's, yeah, it's not all to our benefit. You'd think in a world where we have surpluses of food, people are still going hungry. Right. Like that's a very concerning issue. It shouldn't be that way. It seems very backwards, you know, and I mean, a lot of it, I won't say all, but a lot of it boils down to, in our country, the government's involving itself in this system that should probably be better at regulating itself. You know, the farmer grows something, it goes to market, someone buys it. If they don't produce enough, the price goes up, they get compensated differently. If they overproduce, they lose money, they do something different the next year. But when all of their losses 
are getting paid for from my taxes, nothing changes. No production is changing. We're just ending up with more and more waste and more and more surplus. And, you know, it's, it's a problem that's not going to solve itself. Yeah, I, I find the government, well, first of all, people, people love profit. Profit well, is number one. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that does not exclude the government at all. The government loves to make profit. Money makes the world go round. <laughs> money makes the world go round. That's right. So, I mean, what's the answer? Because I, the government the government likes to put, give subsidies to things and make money off of those subsidies because they're investing in something like a factory farm. When you and I both know that those factory farms are so detrimental to our, not only our ecosystem, but just our way of life. I mean, I, I don't think it's... Like you said, you don't want to be militantly against people who ha enjoy a burger here or there versus someone who is just over-consuming or like large, like Tyson's chicken, just overtly over overproducing things that don't need to be produced at that at that rate. Yeah. Along with the over, the overtly crazy amount of waste that happens from that, people aren't consuming at the at the rate that they think they are. So how do we get to a place that is maybe a happy medium where? I mean, I, there are a lot of militant vegans. There are a lot of militant, like, uh, people who Carnists. think that... <laughs> yeah, carnivores. Would be a word that you might hear in my circles. <laughs> like, what, what's the happy medium? Because I don't know, because le legislation probably doesn't solve that. It's a cultural thing. Well, and the problem is, too, that, you know, we're supposed to be this free market capitalist, to a certain degree, society. Um, and it hasn't been that way. You look at well, who's producing the food that we consume, it is a handful of businesses. It is maybe four major corporations. And the government's involvement by paying back their losses, by doing the, uh, what's the term for it? Payoff spending, I think, where they you know promote um, certain industries for the sake of these companies or just you know got milk type things that the government pays for. Um, is to the detriment of the little guy. Right. You know, if you want to be able to go and as ethically as possible source food that came from right down the road, didn't have to be shipped from across the country or across the world, um, it gets harder and harder to do that because these people are just being bought out and have impossible to make a living when you have these giants that are just stomping everyone down, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hard because the... For whatever reason, we have uh, ingrained ourselves in the need to have cheaper meat and cheaper cheaper produce and cheaper things that, that our government has basically regulated the price. Well, and you look at most recently with coronavirus and people not being sure about what food would be accessible to them. Yeah. And the shelves in the meat department are empty and people are freaking out and they're stockpiling and they have to put signs up that say you cannot buy more than two products from this department when like there is tofu and black beans and seitan and tempeh and plenty of other protein sources if you know if that's what we're comparing readily available that are not expensive either it does not cost a lot of money to grow a soybean right. you know like we're no the world is not going to starve because there's a few less cows being born every year you know right but it's a cultural thing. It's what we're used to. When people talk to me about like the fact that I've been vegan for a long time, the first thing a lot of people say is, what do you eat? Yeah. Like, have you never had like spaghetti <laughs> like, or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Or, you know, those are normal things. But like I make plenty of other 
complicated dinners. It doesn't have to be a chunk of meat and a starch and a vegetable for lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. You right. know, like there's more to it than that, but that's what we're so used to. A lot of the pushback I've heard from people who who, who hear you're not one of them, but militant vegans who say that you know this is this is horrible, inhumane, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think the correct way to go about selling this point is? It is it to argue that the emotional side of like we don't want to hurt animals, or is it more so the just the our ability to be sustainable as a as a society? That obviously we shouldn't be cruel to animals. I agree with that, but. A lot of people who are carnivores who enjoy all the bur the burgers and the steaks, they don't care what a cow thinks. And as unfortunate as that might, that might be, how do we sell to them that, well, you can enjoy the occasional steak and still be against factory farming at the rate that we're doing right now? Yeah. That's a tough... I, it's Well, it's one of those things. People are influenced differently. You will find people that are more empathetic. You will find people that are more selfish. And so there's a lot of factors to consider. There's our health as a society, you know, um, Americans are, suffer from a much higher rate of heart disease and cancer and other things that are just proven to be directly linked to eating animal protein regularly. Um, you know, cholesterol alone, cholesterol only comes from animal products. Human body does not need dietary cholesterol in any capacity. So where are we getting it from? You know, we don't need we don't need to be adding that into our lives. You know, people are dying from heart attacks or obesity related causes. Like, be selfish, eat some more plants. Right. <laughs> you know, live a longer life, lose a few pounds. Like, it's good for you. The average vegan lives. I could be quoting this wrong, but I did a little bit of research, and I believe it's um, their lifespan is average eighteen percent longer, and they weigh thirteen percent less than their comparable omnivore wow it's not a huge amount but you know if you want to see your grandkids grow up like i think that counts for something well that, that's that, that's a good point too right now with covid going on is that people who uh, covid has impacted people who are immunocompromised and a lot of people who are immunocompromised are people who are overweight or obese uh and just are generally not healthy vitamin d deficient and generally if you have someone who is more in tune with their health and their body who are they're intaking good nutrient things into their you know into their their system they're going to be able to weather any uh, the flu cold, common cold i mean when's the last time you had the common cold i mean i don't get very sick very often you know i have allergies but i can't do much about that so well i, I would argue between kids who are just germ, germ factory <laughs> And also just being a, a generally more healthy eater, yeah. you're, probably, you're probably better off than a lot of people who are just eating like crap. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I know people, I don't know. I wish, but that's the other problem too, is that people don't have to take care of themselves. You know, you really don't. You don't, you can eat, you know, junk food every single day. Um, and if that's how you want to live your life, like I can't change it for you. I would like it if you took care of your body, you might feel a little bit better inside, but you know, and then there's there's the in argument to be made for the environment, the environmental impact that um, large scale farming has. Both, you know, people like to joke about cow farts creating methane, which is true. It yep. is. I mean, but all the more so, the amount of produce that these animals consume is causing worldwide deforestation. For the reason we had forest fires in the Amazon. And in Australia in the last year is because 
their clear-cutting land to grow soybeans for animal feed. It's not being made into tofu that I'm eating. They're feeding it to cows. Right. <laughs> you know, then that cow has to eat how many hundreds of pounds of food over the course of its life to maybe feed a handful of people versus if we directly consume those plant materials, how much more good could that do? Right. So would you say that you're more... Like, if I was to go back and, and dig into the roots of why you chose to be vegan, would it be because of just the overall ecosystem, like the sustainability, or is it because... I mean, at the end of the day, like, I am an animal lover. I yeah. care I care very much about animals. You know, when we think about... The human mind is a very powerful thing because cognitive dissonance can allow us to compartmentalize things and very often save our lives mm -hmm. from maybe trauma or decisions we've been forced to make and you know being able to rationalize that but it can also allow us to do pretty awful things and when we think about people in the western world the united states being outraged at places in the eastern world for consuming things like dogs in the yulin festival you know everyone freaks out because dogs are our companions they're smart they're teachable how could you how could you eat that being well right. you know Pigs have the relative intelligence of a three-year-old child. They can solve puzzles. They can be housebroken. They're extremely loyal. Why is, because they can taste good? Like, is that why? Like, how are we any better than anyone else? You know, so at the end of the day, like, that argument to me matters. But right. that's not as compelling to the average person, unfortunately. Yes. I mean, it's tough even for me because, I, I mean, to be honest and admittedly, and it, I, I feel sometimes guilty saying it. I mean, I love bacon. I love right, and eating. I'm not ignorant to it either. I didn't. I yeah. didn't grow up. It's, we don't live in a vegan world. I did not grow up not eating meat. I know what chicken, pork, beef, fish taste like. I know they taste good. Yeah. I know there's a reason that like sitting down at mama's table is so comforting because everything is amazing. You know. Well, and our food products have gotten gotten actually pretty scientifically apt, where like they they're engineering flavored things that taste like bacon that are not there are some pretty some pretty convincing alternatives out there i will say the benevolent bacon i eat i think is tasty i could never pass it off to my husband at breakfast and expect him to say anything other than i'm not eating that but <laughs> i'm happy with it you know there's and who knows where we'll be in the last year we have plant-based burgers available at fast food chains everywhere it's, you go like right in the middle of nowhere, you can get an Impossible Whopper with no mayonnaise on it and have a vegan meal for six bucks. Yeah. Like. Yeah. What's your, what's your take on this? Because I'm, I'm curious to know where this goes. Genetically engineered meat or grown meat <laughs> in mean, a lab. It makes me uncomfortable to think about it. I'm not going to lie. It's weird to say it. <laughs> like, is that is that going to be, yeah, if we. Lab grown meat. Lab-grown meat, if we get away from all of factory farming and, and you know, harvesting from cows, if we lab-grow the meat from just cells, is that... Yeah, because it would, what, it would be genetically indistinguishable. From, right. I mean, I appreciate the lack of animal suffering at the end of the day. You mm. know, that's that matters to me. It's hard. It's hard because there are conversations about products that we have available to us now. Things like Impossible Beef or Beyond Beef. Um, Impossible Beef, for instance. They had some pushback from the FDA about a product being safe because it, it was something brand new to the market. And so they actually did animal testing. They fed it to mice. Um, and then they did autopsies on all of them after them eating it for a period of time to confirm 
that it did not cause any abnormalities or defects, that there was no concern after consuming this product. And that allowed them to be declared safe to be eaten by the general public. Right. The meat. Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's controversial. You see the small group that we are of vegans fighting each other saying, how dare you eat impossible meat because it was tested on animals and it's not cruelty free. And then there are other people that can look at the bigger picture and say, but think about how many cows it has the potential to save. You know, I don't, I'm not in a position to pass judgment on the average person. Um, but I do tend to fall more in line with the bigger picture and the greater good. And so if lab grown meat entreats more people to do less harm mm -hmm. to sentient beings, I like it. Still makes me uncomfortable to think about because <laughs> it's like a sci-fi movie it, uh, it just seems gives me the willies i don't know and i don't know that i would i mean i don't know if trying to make my body digest beef at this point would probably cause a whole mess of problems too oh so <laughs> absolutely absolutely what what do you think about the i know i've heard the argument too a lot a lot of times that humans are more so herbivore than they are omnivore or carniv carnivorous like that maybe back in the day there was a point um, people, you hear the argument that human beings are frugivores, mm. much like chimpanzees. Chimpanzees don't eat meat, but they do have large, you know, canine teeth, much like human beings do. I mean, I don't exactly look like a dog, but sure, there's a little bit of a point there. You're not going to see me biting into the side of a deer or something, but, um, you know, the, the fact that we're, like, we're designed if we could exist solely on like raw fruit like we could do really well uh, adjusting for like obvious health problems and stuff it's not really practical for the average person because it's really expensive right. and if you live in you know an area that doesn't have natural abundance things like that if you live in alaska like you can't eat fruit all year round um but i hear that argument a lot that that's what humans would be best adapted to i mean even Everyone's really concerned about protein. And I do agree that, like, we need it, but human beings are not obligate carnivores the way that cats are. Like, we can consume incomplete proteins and create proteins from amino acids in our food and be just fine. Sure. So, sure, I will eat protein supplements, or not supplements, but, like, protein products like beans or soy or whatever from time to time, but I'm not a bodybuilder either. So like I'm, I'm doing just fine eating mostly vegetables. Right, right. Well, I mean, there are a lot of bodybuilders out there that are vegan. That's, they do that's it. really true too. Being plant-based has become, I mean, I haven't watched the Game Changers documentary. Actually, I've heard it's really popular. Um, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's vegan now, so. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, being plant-based has done some amazing things for athletes. Um, cause there's, there's, I think your body just it wastes less of what you're consuming. And so it's, it's easier on you. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I've, I've tried, I mean, I, I like to weight lift, but I've only been sticking to whey and, and, you know, concentrated whey protein, but I want to get back. Oh, your stomach must just hate you. <laughs> it, no, honestly, it, really? it's, it's very bloating yeah. and, and it's terrible. Um, I want to try to get in the vegan, but the, the, the problem stands that it, it's more expensive. And it doesn't taste it. It's usually chalky. It's very chalky. It's very gimmicky. It'll and... get better, I'm sure, but there has to be the demand for it at the same time. 
Do you think, so I know a lot of people who want to go vegan or even just eat healthier. That's a big problem in this country too, that you don't have to be vegan to eat healthy. No, absolutely not. But like, it's so easy to just go to McDonald's for a $3 sandwich than it is to go to Whole Foods and make your own sandwich and the convenience and even the price. So is it, is it just people don't know what to buy and how to buy it? Or do you think that people just like, there, is there a problem with our economy right now or our market that it's so much easier to peddle the cheap bad for you food like it's a dollar for a bag of potato chips and it, but it's like seven dollars for a gourmet salad i mean yeah i think if we're talking about just helpful food in general there is definitely a disproportionate benefit to eating garbage you know uh corn syrup and yeah you know it's in everything and that's what, I mean, that's back to government subsidies. You know, these products can be produced so inexpensively that they're so abundant um, versus like real fruits and vegetables right. are so hard to get a hold of. And, you know, I don't necessarily know what's to be done about that um, as far as the solution. But I do agree that like it's it's valid. You know, when you look at a family of, you know, with several children and maybe they don't live, um, their means are limited you know, if you can drive through and get dollar meal burgers for everyone, cool. You got dinner for your whole family for like less than seven dollars. Like right. you can't, you can buy like three apples for that much money, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like you right. know, but yeah. And then you then you look at long term versus short term health. You know, cool. There's food in your belly, but um, are you spending more on medical bills in the long run? Are you experiencing? other problems as a result of it is your, you know, potential weight gain, um, you know, causing you issues. There's, there's, there's pros and cons that have to be evaluated. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the privilege of evaluating those things. I definitely am willing to admit that like living in a world where I can consciously choose to not consume certain products Mm. is a form of privilege. If I would go to any other nation maybe not any other nation but many other nations and say you know no i choose not to eat meat they'd be like i wish i could eat meat because i'm starving right you know so i can't i'm not here to like pass judgment on when people choose to live i just know that like this is what i've decided fits my uh abilities and my like ethical state for myself Mm -hmm. so you know i would love it if everyone ate things that were good and nourish them. Yeah. Um, but that's not the world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, and I'm, I, I, I've, I've eaten a lot better. I mean, I've, I've, I'm probably in the best shape of my life as far as what I'm eating. I used to, I used to drink a bunch of Mountain Dew and, and all the soda and all the corn syrup and all the sugary things. Sugar is number one as far as what is driving our issues in this, in, in, in this nutrient-deficient country. But I... I I, even though I eat meat and I, I, I don't eat, I think I eat chicken mostly out of anything, but I'm so feverishly against the factory farming and the subsidies that happen in, in when our government should not be helping anybody. I think the market could change for the better if the government just got out of the way and Beyond Meat had more of a free roam to just go. I mean, the fact that the Whopper now has a, a Beyond Meat option is indicative of that. Yeah. Would would people be more apt and would it be cheaper to create? That's a good question. I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but is producing a Beyond Meat burger cheaper than producing a burger? Um, 
I honestly don't know what it costs to make a patty. I know that when you go to the store, like per pound, it costs more to purchase. Um, but I think if you took away the $38 billion, the meat industry got last year to yeah. adjust, you know, their losses, a pound of beef would cost a lot more than it does. So I, I'm sure it costs less to create beyond meat patties than it does to raise a cow from scratch. Right. But that cost doesn't necessarily get passed on to the consumer. Um, yeah, I, I, money, <laughs> money, <laughs> government, taxes, everything. <laughs> the more you learn, the easier it is to just be like, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay in my lane and keep doing what feels right for me. But it does feel hard to feel like I'm making an impact. You know, it's easier to be vegan, I think, now than it has ever been. You know, oh, there's an abundance of alternatives and products readily made. There's food that tastes incredible and is incredibly deceiving to what it is originally supposed to duplicate. And yet, I don't know that it's making the impact that we wish it was in the form of liberating animals. You know, I didn't become vegan because I wanted to have fake cheese available at every store I go to. It's nice. It makes my life easier. But sure. I want, you know, fewer baby cows ripped away from their mothers. Like, mm. that's what I care about. Mm. Um, and really the only way to have that change is to have people involved in what our government is doing. And the fact is that there are, there are zero vegan lobbyists at this point in time. Um, I think maybe there's one, there might be one, um, as opposed to the, I, I want to say like, there's like 58 for the meat industry and more for the dairy industry sure like political power who's influencing the decisions that get right. made you know it's not us <laughs> you no. can be mad at us all day long because you share videos of chickens cramped in cages but i didn't put them there you know right oh yeah those 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 videos and those stories of how our industry treats animals is it's disgusting to me and i i question my, my choices as a as a, a meat consumer but then at the same time, I, I, I argue that, you know, we, we can just consume less and still be able to eat meat here and there. Because I, I do think that there is a, there's a benefit as long as we're being good about, about doing it and not just eating meat because we can eat all the meat in the world. But like, I can, I can argue against factory farming. Well, and I'm a pragmatic person too. I grew yeah. up around farming. I'm not ignorant to the way it works. I've seen animals harvested is the polite way of saying mm. it. Um, yeah. You know, I've been around that environment and it's not, it's a lot less shocking to me than I think it would be even the average meat consumer. So like, I understand that like small farmers are not villains the way right. that I think some people make them out to be. Are they exploiting animals? Yes. But are they doing it out of, you know, this evil malicious you know, they're not the P.T. Barnum circus that's like making elephants dance on their hind legs for people to clap their hands. Like it's, it's different. You know, I'm, I'm willing to acquiesce to that. That's not. And the thing is, too, that these animals have become so domesticated and so devolved to be subjugated to human beings that short of, you know, farm sanctuaries where you occasionally see rescues take in animals that are maybe, you know, too old to milk anymore or 
um, certain calves born into the beef industry. And for whatever reason, they let people buy them instead of growing them for slaughter. Mm. Other than that, like, I, I don't see these animals existing in the wild or in other circumstances. And I don't know that I really want cows going extinct, but I don't really want them living in order to just be food either. <laughs> so it's just, it's just a hard, it's just a hard place to be in general. I'm gonna throw you a curveball though. <laughs> so I'm a hunter too. Sure. What do you think about the arguments for sustainable hunting? Like when it comes to white-tailed deer and 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 coyote and like when there is a, a nuisance that that is not a, a natural predator that has been moved partially by human interaction and now humans have to come back and try to make sure that the ecosystem is set. The DNR has a lot of standards to make sure that you know hunting licenses are put out in a way that is judicious for that area. I mean, if you have an overrun of coyotes or overrun of white-tailed deer, then you're going to have a lot of other ecosystem issues. And that's why hunting is kind of open up and say, okay, yeah. you all get three deer this year versus, you know, whatever. I know, like, uh, if I hunt an animal and I, I harvest the animal and I use the animal, that to me is a more ethical way to do something rather than having a factory farm full of a bunch of overweight chickens and overweight cows that are just suffering until they get slaughtered. Yeah. Um, obviously, in, an, in a utopia, I would love to not have any suffering, of course, but yeah. I don't know. What do you... Um, I think as far as hunting is concerned, I think it's... I'm like probably going against the grain of what most people with my perspective would say. I think it's preferable to... Um, if you're, if you're going to consume meat, I think that it's probably the best way to do it. Mm. Um, these animals were allowed to live freely. They had the chance to escape from you. Hopefully you're competent with, you know, whatever weapon of choice you have and you're able to minimize their suffering. Right. And hopefully whatever you get from them, you use completely. You're not wasteful, um, in what you receive. So, I mean, and I think there are there are hunters that are genuinely like cognizant of what they're consuming and, you know, have gratitude for an animal losing its life. That way they feel very connected to nature and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely, um, it has a place and I can like empathize with that. Um, I think it's a shame that conservation efforts have to be made only for that reason yeah. <laughs> which i guess goes back to human selfishness that like we only care about these animals staying alive so that we can take advantage of them later <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i don't know i i'm pretty jaded about the whole thing to be honest with you no that's but, that's fair i mean i grew up i grew up pheasant hunting with my dad and and, and he and he can't hunt as often as he he used to i mean just as far as age and health but and I haven't been able to go hunting because I, I, my life has changed and I'm doing different stuff. But there are pheasant farms in Iowa that we used to go to. It's like they just farm pheasants and they have them in crates and they go out and someone goes out an hour ahead of you and they release the pheasants into the cornfield. And it's like, okay, now you have your dog run up in the pheasants and then spur them up in the, in the, in the air and then you shoot them with, with shotgun. And of course, you could miss and they go off and live a happy pheasant life. But... They were raised and bred for <laughs> hunting, right? So that's that's more of a sport, right? And you know that that ethical. It's a very artificial set of circumstances for hunting. <laughs> yeah, and I, I might I might go against that as opposed to if I was if I was a, a mountain man, living on the side of a hill, 
And for my nutrients, I went out and hunt specifically for me to have food on my table that night. That's a little different story. Right. Like if we were stranded on an island, I, I don't think you and I would bat, bat an eye at like, well, we have to fish because there's nothing else on this island. Right. If I mean, it's the difference between me starving to death, you know, sure. Yeah. Some some decisions might be made the same way if, you know, some people might practice in cannibalism if it was the difference between life or death. But I don't think that means that they're morally unsound people in their regular life. You know? Right. right. <laughs> um, what do you think about, so we, t we touched on animal testing a little bit with Beyond Meat, but as far as products and vaccines and maybe hair products and healthcare products might be a little bit different. Well, but I mean, medicine and it's all, it's all, it's all involved. It's all involved. Is there a place for that with animals that like, is there a way that we can do it that isn't them before we go to human trials or is it, should it always be human trials first? And then humans have a chemical burn on their skin because of the new L'Oreal product that came out or a vaccine that is tested. Rats are tested often in labs. Is there, are there lines? Is there a certain, I don't know. There's, there's I mean, a lot I think of... with like cosmetics and non-essential products, they've existed for a long enough time that there's plenty of brands that are cruelty-free. They know what they're making. Mm -hmm. They know it's not harmful to humans. They don't need to animal test. There's some brands that do choose to animal test so they can be sold to certain markets that require it. Right. Um, which is absurd to me personally. If you've been making your product, NARS is one example of a brand I used to buy. They had great lip pencils um, and they're sold in China now, which means that they animal test because that's what's required. Wow. And it's like, oh, you care more about making more money than like right. your you know, ethical high ground. Like, okay, that's fine. I'm not gonna give you my money anymore. You know, sure. like that's my choice to make. Um, as far as medicine is concerned, that's kind of different because I understand that there are people that, I mean, require these things to live. And I'm not in a position to say who is and who is not allowed to consume things that are the difference between life and death for them. You sure. know, if your insulin had to come from an animal or if your medicine had to be tested to make sure that it was safe for you to consume and it's the difference between you know, you functioning or you being incredibly depressed or if it's a other like serious health concern, uh, my hands are off. I'm not a medical professional. <laughs> I don't experience that. You know, if it was me, I might feel conflicted about it for a period of time. But if I decided that I needed it, then that's would be the end of it. Yeah. And I think too, veganism, there's a lot of gatekeeping involved with it about who's enough of this or that if you know if you buy a leather jacket secondhand are you really vegan mm -hmm. whatever but like in my opinion i believe that it is limiting our consumption of things that result in animal suffering as much as possible if you have like dietary issues and you can't get all of your necessary nutrients from plants and you have to occasionally eat eggs or chicken to live. <laughs> Who am I to say what you can and cannot do? Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to shake my finger at you. You know, if you don't eat dairy, but you occasionally, you know, eat something else because it's the difference between your well-being and your illness. Good on you for trying, yeah. you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to be an all or nothing person like that. Sure. 
there are people who will, but. Yeah, and I think that, that the people that are like that, I, th I think the the argument is lost when you, you know, you use emotion solely as your argument. You like there has there, there are definitely data driven arguments to be made that are sh like if we adopted a let's say twenty percent meat eighty percent vegan diet, so much would get better. Sure. I mean. There's still meat consumption, but there are lists of meat companies like Tyson's Chicken and, and uh, Purdue that are just blatant abusers of, of. And there's, I mean, I was reading not that long ago that there were politicians criticizing vegans because they were so liberal because they were trying to have California's law that cages be large enough for chickens to turn around and then be made a nationwide thing. And he's like, oh, how dare they? Like. <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that the least we can give them? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like a lot. Like, we're gonna eat them eventually anyway. Can we not make their life miserable leading up to that point? Well, I don't know. That's an interesting question, though, too. Is that so? You know, I think we both agreed that the subsidies that the government is giving factory farming and 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 the meat industry as a whole is abhorrent. And I, I I disagree with subsidies across the board. I don't care what it is for. I don't I don't want you know other maybe if your government or if your government if your uh, business isn't viable on its own yeah maybe it's time to pack up shop sucks or to suck diversify or something yeah I, I think the only thing that it might that it might throw a chain or a wrench in my in my chain is that you know corn subsidies probably make my whiskey cheaper oh <laughs> I see how it is <laughs> but other than that. Take subsidies away. Drink some more rye. Yeah, drink more rye, um, or I'll just drink scotch. But I'm sure you know they'll they'll find a way to tax the shit out of that too. Uh, tariffs. Tariffs, right? But if if we take that away, is it the government's job? If we take away subsidies, is it the government's job to come in and have regulations to make sure that if we do have meat industry, that the chickens have the right size cage, or is that because it's private industry, government coming in to regulate that, or does the free market dictate that? Okay. People know how you operate as a company, and through us learning that, we will not patron your company. The problem with that, though, is it doesn't happen as quickly as we want it to. I don't know how much to. credit I can give people for caring about things other than how much they spend on those things. Sure. <laughs> and the, well, the problem is, too, that there's issues with like honest advertising. Mm. And you can say, you know, these eggs came from cage-free chickens which sounds good, cool. I'll buy the $5 carton of eggs instead of the $1 carton of eggs, thinking right. I'm doing something great. Right. And then you look, if you actually go to these companies and actually look at what their production looks like, the warehouse is the same size as the warehouse that the chickens are feeding kept in cages. They're just, it's just a free for all in there. Sure. You know? That's all, that's all you're paying for. You know, like is, is their quality of life any better? Most likely not, you right. know? So I don't think people are as aware of what goes on as I would like them to be. I think some people are. I think to be completely unaware, you have to be like willfully ignorant at this point. But I don't know that people are still cognizant of like what takes place commonplace in places like slaughterhouses. Hmm. And, you know, I've had friends who have worked in slaughterhouses in the past and they're like, yeah, I would never buy like this brand of meat ever again after seeing the abhorrent conditions just for like 
sanitation, not even necessarily the way like the animals are being treated. Sure. Like the whole thing is a mess. But if it makes it a lot cheaper for people to buy, are people, do people care that much? I don't know. (laughs) I wish people cared more. You, do you think it maybe it might be the lack of access to the correct information? Because I know you now we have we I'm have. Sure it's, it's just very limited. I mean, you see people trying to sneak in there with their GoPros and they get hauled off for trespassing. And we also have a, a massive influx of misinformation that you have on both sides. You the arguing are arguing for and against. Um, I don't know if. It's tough because I don't know if the government or if, or if a state or a local government has a place in, in telling a private industry what to do. If I don't trust the people or the consumers doing that, then we have a different problem on our hands. Is that is that more of a, a cultural or educational shift that has to happen rather than the government saying, okay, well, same with COVID right now with the mask wearing. You know, I don't agree with the, the government saying, okay, if you go in the public space, you have to wear a mask because you don't do it on your own. Is that good for the government to tell you what to do in a mandate to say, hey, you have to, like they're not, or close down, closing down businesses. That's a, that's a tough call for a government to make because business owners aren't making the right call on their own or the perceived right call. Well, and it's like, at what point are we in a position to quote unquote police like these businesses you right. know, as consumers of them? You know, if... If I'm not aware of what's going on behind closed doors, I can't do much about it. Right. You know, but if the government has certain regulations for the standards that need to be upheld, they're allowed to come and inspect and make sure that those standards are being held versus me. Like, I have no business coming on their property unless I choose to, you know, put myself at risk by breaking in. So... I think as far as something like talking about COVID, I wish people cared about each other more. Right. That's about all I can say about it. I don't know how to tell people you should have empathy for other beings. <laughs> like That's probably like my thesis statement of this whole conversation. <laughs> like Have some more empathy for people, for animals, for yourself. If you don't feel that way, like... I don't know how much more there is to say about it, you know? Like, government can't make you be more empathetic. They can make you more bitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would I would go back to saying that that's, that's a cultural character education issue in this country. And, again, I don't want government to come in and say how education should be run because I, I think there are lots of schools of thought. And lots of communities are very different, very different cult- cultures, the South, the North, the East, the West. Um, it, you know, I... I, I I wish empathy is a big one. You know, I wish people understood, you know, the the needed compassion when it comes to animals. I mean, you, you said, this is this is going to be a, a dumb example, but I mean, we're both from Wisconsin, and I grew up in Milwaukee, specifically West Dallas, home of Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer, for as terrible as he was as a, as a as a cannibalistic serial killer, he after he was caught, he uh, willingly opted into having behavioral therapy so that they could learn what his problem was because he knew what he was doing was wrong. And it was actually pretty enlightening because credit to Jeffrey Dahmer for what he, him being willing to come in and do this, we learned a lot about the psych, psychosis of a lot of those people. And Jeffrey Dahmer was this crazy kid who was killing cats and killing small animals and dissecting small animals and, and putting them in freezers. And that is like indicative of a psychopath. Like, 
if you lack empathy for a living creature, that that transcends anim animals. I mean, humans are animals too, but they're we just as sentient as we are. Right. If I stab you in the leg, you're gonna make the same sound as a pig does if I stab it in the leg. You know? Yeah, it's painful. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I, I just bring, I bring Dahmer's example up because he was a, a proven uh, scientific examination of how our lack of empathy for other living creatures can transcend well, yeah. into our, our interpersonal relationships. And his interpersonal relationships were very toxic. <laughs> that's way to say it. <laughs> that's way. No, it's true, though. I mean, that's like the most common way to diagnose children as having like being emotionally disturbed, being psychopaths. Do they harm living things i don't care if it's flies or cats or frogs are they going out of their way to kill small animals like there's something wrong with you right if you think that that's okay right as we grow up things get a little bit blurry i guess but if I, my hands are clean i'm just buying it from walmart it's okay <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a lot easier to to educate and and I don't want to say train, but condition someone to understand the the empathetic perception of something in in their young age. Then you have a bunch of 45, 50 year old Karens out there who don't want to change their way of life because their way of life is convenient for them. So, is there a is there a transitionary way we can head towards a better culture of whether it be dietary or understanding the implications of the environment i mean you look at the world around us right now and there's definitely a shift whether it's people protesting in the streets for equal rights whether it's people you know staying indoors to try to not get other people sick whether it's people consuming things in a way that they used to not i think that generationally we're becoming more cognizant of each other in the world around us and their impact. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's universal, but I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that we're growing as people to be more aware of our impact we have on each other. Um, and I hope that continues. Right. Well, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think, I think that along with maybe having a more environmentally aware uh culture as far as education goes i mean yeah. a lot of a lot of schools don't get out into the in the wilderness and understand nature no, i think that'd yeah, be, that would be incredible i think that'd be a great step forward and and whether or not like we're not we're not saying shove veganism down people's throats but i just think to educate about it though make yeah. people realize it's an option yeah i think people are so used to living a certain way they see someone else do something for the first time and they're like that's weird and then they see a second person do it and they're like huh and then you see a third person doing it and they're like maybe it's not that weird after all you know right. like it's just it's just a different way to live your life it's not it doesn't have to be that crazy well you said before it's like this we live in a, in a time when it's the easiest to, to be either vegetarian or vegan consume less animal products whatever right. way you choose to do it right what what would you say to someone who, who's interested in doing it what's the what's a good starting point how do, how do you get that mindset how do you get in that the budgetary realm if they, if they have to go to a certain store, if they live somewhere that doesn't really have all the Whole Foods awesome options that exist in metropolitan areas? Um, I say it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can try making dinner once a week without animal protein in it. Try drinking 
non-dairy milk instead of regular milk. There's so many options. You'll probably find one that's pretty tasty. Oatly is delicious. I love Ripple. Ripple's good too. Ripple is probably more nutritionally better for you than Oatly, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, just try, just try something new. Try not American recipes. Try different cuisines. Um, Thai food is excellent for not having, um, you know, what we traditionally have in our food for animal products. Um, just, I don't know, get out of a rut. We've all been stuck in our houses for months. <laughs> let's, let's just come out of quarantine with like a fresh perspective on the way we can live our lives. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, especially because a lot of restaurants and places that we love are offering now vegetarian or vegan options that are quite delicious. Like I've, I've tried the Beyond Meat, meat burgers and, and, and brats and, and, and things from, from different places. They're impressive. They're, they don't fool me yet, but they're impressive. I can, I can get behind it. If you didn't have real beef for like two years and then you took a bite out of it, you'd be like, I'm scary, but my server gave me the wrong thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, um, it's, I guess, I guess final question, and we'll wrap it up with this. What, what, what needs to be done now? Because what, what, what can be done in the short term? What do you think the most important aspect of, of, of entering this realm of, you know, the, the, the environment is at stake, our diets are at stake, uh, animal cruelty and animal, you know, having empathy for animals because obviously we've seen the videos, we've seen the horrible things that happen. What, what's the most pressing issue that we could fix in the next five years without going overboard and saying everyone must be vegan because that's not at all pragmatic and you know that, but. I think it starts, I think it starts with personal development, honestly. I think it takes like self-reflection and being like, I'm not being attacked just because someone is offering me a different way to live my life. Look internally and say like, what can I do to make an impact on the world around me? If you can't, you know, outright participate in so many of the things that are going on in the world around us, can you go to your grocery store and shop a little differently? Mm. That might have more impact than you realize, you sure. know? It's not it doesn't mean it's violating who you are as a human being to internally reflect on the impact you have on the world around you. Sure. I think that's great. I think, I think that along with, with maybe at least having the conversation about how do we get into a, a cultural shift that can help us just have more empathy for each other, but also empathy for the living creatures. I, 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 you brought up the, the dog, is it Yulin? Yeah. The Yulin Festival in, in, in China. Like we, we valued our, our man's best friend dogs and cats and, and, and certain pets in this country so vehemently. We love them. And uh, God forbid that, you know, we have that kind of empathy for a, a pig or a dolphin or for a, I mean, SeaWorld is a whole other conversation. Oh, man. So <laughs> get me started. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to wrap it up, not extend. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's I mean, it's funny because I, I, just, I just thought of SeaWorld. Oh, I mean, they, it's, it's all, it's all bad. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we have, we have empathy for for animals that we are used to and ingrained with human beings are capable of great things and consideration and change we are not the society we used to be and i hope that that is a forward progression that continues you know people say animal rights are just a small facet of whether it's 
women's rights or gay rights or uh, black rights or whatever. It's all it's all the same conversation of treating sentient beings like they matter and they're important in our lives and we should care about them. Yeah. And that's that's something that matters to me. No, I, I agree with you. And I think I think just having that that general empathy and compassion for any living creature or, or, or not even living creature, but like our just our our atmosphere that which we live in, you know, we should just care about like, like you live here, you sleep here, you should care while you live here and take care of it. Yeah. So we'll end Sounds on that. like a good future to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end on that positive note. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Of course. Um, I, I learned pleasure. I learned a lot and hopefully uh, we've shed some light on a couple of things, but this is I not exhaustive. So. I hope I wasn't too like, you know. I'll listen to the weekend talk. <laughs> <out there>, but... <laughs> no, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll say too, like I, I have had friends and, and coworkers and colleagues that have, have been very militant about the whole, you know, you know, animal cruelty. And if you eat meat, you're a terrible person. And I think you come from an angle that's more rational and more goal centric. Approachable. <laughs> Approachable. <laughs> and it, it's, it's goal centric. You, you want to have a change that is sustainable rather than just, you know, shouting down from from your ivory tower of like i am self-righteous because i do these things you know i think what you're doing is great and i think you should keep doing it but keep doing it in the way that you're doing it don't be don't become a militant uh, crazy person i'll try and i'll do the same because <laughs> i i'm i'm a dumb i'm well, a dumb person i appreciate being able to share your platform for something that i care about yeah absolutely and this isn't exhaustive so i know at some point we'll probably be back sounds good we'll have to talk about sea world yeah, Blackfish. <laughs> right, yeah, you're right, that, that documentary. So, well, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. Uh, please like and subscribe and uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the stuff. And, of course, we're on Spotify, all the places you can find podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google. Uh, appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks.